Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, grace and peace uh, to you all. Uh, I bring greetings from Grace Baptist Church, our church in São José dos Campos, not far from here. And they are praying for us right now. And I also bring greetings from uh, these two ministries I represent, Martin Buser Seminary and Fiel Ministries. Fiel is a teaching ministry. And if you want to learn more about Fiel, you can always look up on, on the internet, Fiel Ministries, or talk to Rick Denon right here. Uh, his father was the founder of Fiel Ministries, and I have the privilege of being working with Rick for over 20 years now. And again, it's a joy to be here. I uh, appreciate the invitation uh, from Rick and the, the deacons of the church. Thank you for, for the privilege of, of being with you here. And... Uh, I think I should start by asking forgiveness and the patience, especially from those who are uh, native speakers uh, of English. Uh, you will probably, probably notice that I'm not a native English speaker. I will try, though, to make myself clear to you uh, today uh, in your own language. And for, for those who are Brazilian, and I, I think you will probably understand me, as you will uh, sense my very strong Brazilian accent. Uh, okay, so about becoming a grandpa. Yes, I'm ready. I told my son, he, he said he's not ready yet to be a father. I said, it's okay, no problem. I'm ready to be a grandpa, so <laughs> we, we, we can find a way to work together, right? Anyway, it's a blessing. Uh, we were able to, uh, to marry our older son. So now I have a, a new daughter, right? Uh, my uh, new... Uh, daughter-in-law, Eloah. Let's pray together, brothers and sisters. Blessed be the Lord, our Father, and Jesus, our Redeemer, from everlasting to everlasting. Oh, Jesus, you are our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. You are our shield and the horn of our salvation, our stronghold and refuge. And we call upon you who is worthy to be praised. We give thanks to you, O Lord, for you are good and your mercy lasts forever. Receive this morning our worship and praise. It is to you that we sing. It is to you that we pray. It is before your word that we sit and that we bow. For we love you and exalt your name. Be with us. Speak to us through your spirit. Give us your blessings. And we pray this in Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. It was John Donne, the 16th century poet, who once said, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a part of the continent a part of the main. And he's basically telling all of us that we are not alone and we are necessarily influenced by others in our lives, in our beliefs, and in who we are. And we live now in a time and age where anyone can just reach to their pocket and by picking up a cell phone, such as most of you have right now, you will find yourself just before a, an entire world and continent 
of ideas. And, and people telling you what to do, telling you what to believe, telling you what to do with your life. And, and there are so many competing voices, right, in our society today. All of these voices shouting their ideas. And, and those ideas, they tackle every area of life, our professional career, what we do with our money, the way we de develop our relationship with others. We have the so-called influencers these days, doing their little dancing or just telling the world what they believe and expecting us to do the same. And, and somehow, these influences, they will, they will lead us to make choices, and, and choices that we have made in life, even the small decisions that we make in our everyday life, are based in the things that we have heard, things that we have learned, and ultimately, they will build up our convictions. So, my question for you this morning is, which voice are you listening to? Who are you listening to? And to help us answer this question, I want to study this passage that's so rich and beautiful that was just read before us from Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Now, we are not sure whether this story told by Jesus himself is a parable or a historical account. Some scholars will consider it to be a parable, and indeed it must, it must be a knowledge that it has some elements that indicate to be a parable. But parable or not, the teaching uttered by the Lord Jesus himself brings shocking truths to which all of us must heed. And he, he's saying some very challenging things here, isn't he? In this teaching, his audience there in Luke 16 certainly was deeply affected by what he had to say. So let's try and, and, and understand the context in which the passage of the rich man in Lazarus was told by Jesus. If you go through the entire chapter 16 of, of the Gospel of Luke, you will see that in this instance, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. He's again dealing with them. He has dealt with them back and forth. And, and the Pharisees, we know, are those men who wanted to please God. And they consider themselves true sons of Abraham. And they trusted that they were saved because they were born Jews. Because they were part of the covenantal people of God. And the Pharisees, uh, the scripture will tell us, they tried to win God's favor by following traditions that them themselves had created. And not, not only by following such traditions, but also to enforcing people to do so. They were the religious men of Jesus' time. And they believed that they were the true representatives of Moses and his law. But you see, if you read through the, uh, the text that precedes the one that was just read, a few verses earlier, you will notice that Jesus 
is calling their attention and showing them the most serious problem of a man's heart. And he's not talking about cholesterol here. <laughs> no. He was showing them that they were covetous. Covetous people who liked opulence. They enjoyed wealth and influence. Oh, they were the influencers of their time, even though they didn't have TikTok. They enjoyed power and being the centers of people's attention. And they, at some point, we see, they wanted men to envy them. But they, they were also mean, for they did not love their neighbor. They would not assist the widows. Jesus will, will charge them with that account. They would not take care of their own wives. In this very passage here on Luke 16, Jesus is telling them that they often oppress their own wives and use the divorce law. So they used Moses' law as a means to get rid of their wives. And Jesus is, is seeing all of this. And then he proposes this story that we read here. So what do we have here? We have some important characters. Let's pay attention to them. First, we have the, the, the rich men of the text. The text says that he was an opulent man. He wore expensive clothes. Purple and linen. Probably the last fashion of, I don't know, Assyria. Rome and, and purple clothing back in those days they, they were very expensive you know it was usually a dye whose ink came from a very rare oyster and this piece was worn over a very fine linen and the combination made it something of a flamboyant kind of clothing that would call people's attention everywhere he went and he had everything the text will tell us. He had the best delicacies on his table, best clothing. He had a lot of money. He had friends and family. He had his traditions. He had his fellow religious men. He was a respected member of the community of the Jews, a religious man. And he had siblings who were also religious men. And he considered himself, and the text will tell us that, a son of Abraham. And to be called a son of Abraham was a title of importance. So he probably attended every service, so to say, of the temple. He probably had the best animals for the sacrifice. But the text says that this man was very selfish. He was opulent, so... Likely very vain and narcissistic, self-centered. And above all, he did not love his neighbor. His glory was his tradition. His glory was his birthright. His glory was his money. His glory was his position in society. His glory was his good name. But look what Jeremiah has to say about it. In Jeremiah 9, 23, 
If you care to open your Bible there or maybe read it later, it says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Not, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. You see, he was a member of the community of the covenantal people of God. He considered himself as a son of Abraham and a follower of Moses. But look what Moses has to say about the care of those who are in need in Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 and 10. I'll read it for you. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape uh, of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Also, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 and 8 says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. But you see, poor Lazarus lived at the door of his house and he had to fight with the dogs for the crumbs of food that fell from the greasy dish of the rich man. And then our text will say that the rich man died. Now, there's a second character in this story. On the other hand, we have Lazarus. Oh, Lazarus. We do not know much about his life. In fact, we know just a little bit. But the little bit that we know is that in life, everything went really wrong for Lazarus. Text will say to us that Lazarus was poor. But he was more than poor. He was a beggar. More than that, he was sick. He had wounds and ulcers all over his body. And probably because of, of his disease, he wasn't fit to work. And at that time, sick people unfit to work would not be welcomed by society. He probably had no family. No children. No siblings. No living parents. Lazarus had no friends. There was no one to take him home. There was no one to give him medicine. There was no one to give him food. There was no one to give him affection and love. He was alone in this world. He was sick, and he was hungry. He was starving. He wanted to be fed. He 
was in misery. But there is one important thing we know about Lazarus. He was a true believer. He was a God-fearing man. At some point of his miserable life, he heard about the law of Moses. At some point of his life, he heard about Moses and the prophets. The revelation that God himself had given to the prophets and the priests. He heard about the promises of God's shalom. The peace that would come to those who fear the Lord. Lazarus probably did not have even half a shekel to enter into the temple that would enable him to enter into the temple. He had no money to buy animals for the sacrifice for his sin. He probably only could see the temple from afar, from a distance. He could not even get into the temple, by the way. Because in order to get, because in order to get into the temple, he would need to purify himself. But remember, he had wounds and ulcers in his body. Even if he could, he would not even be able to pass through the Gentile gate. Never to be near the altar of the sacrifice. But, from wherever he was, he could look at the house of God. He could look to the place of prayers. And such as Solomon taught us in the prayer of dedication to the temple, he could pray and call out to God. Look what is registered in 1 Kings 8, verses 37 through 40, in the dedication of the temple. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spread out his hands toward this temple, then hear, O God, in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and enact and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know for you, O oh Lord, know the hearts of all sons of men, so that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you have given them. Lazarus was a God-fearing man, and the Lord knew his heart. So yes, even from afar he saw the smoke of the sacrifice, and by faith, he understood that the whole drama of the sacrifice represented the righteousness of God being satisfied through the slaughtering of the lamb, the innocent shedding blood for the guilty. And Lazarus could understand it. He understood that God's mercy was manifested even in his miserable life. And he listened to Moses and the prophets. He actually put his faith in whatever fraction 
of the word that he was able to listen to. And then, you know what happened? He also died. And at this point, let me try and fix this. Yes. And that, wow, much better now, huh? Isn't it? All right. So he died. And at this point, my dear brothers and sisters, we have learned a very important lesson. Death comes to all. Death is this ruthless enemy. And it is an inescapable reality. I see a lot of young people here. Young people don't tend to think about death. But it's coming. It's coming for you and me. You see, it's, it's like death is a chain that is attached at our legs at the point we are born. And we drag this chain all over our lives until we are dragged by it. We cannot escape death unless, Maranatha, our Lord Jesus comes. No matter what you do in life to prolong your life, death will come to seek you. And will seek all of us. You see, one of the things that I like to do when I travel, and I, I happen to be, to be able to travel a lot in my line of work, and I really like to do is, is going to museums. Because they're fun to be you know, around, right? I mean, there's so much culture and art and, and knowledge and things of the past that we can learn, right? But make no mistake, museums are just fancy cemeteries. I was in Egypt with Rick just a year ago, and we went to the Great Pyramids. What a work of art, of architecture of the ancient days. Cemetery. It's a tomb. There are dead people in there. You see, in museums, uh, we see the great deeds of those who have already died. I was able to visit the Westminster Abbey once. What a, what a exquisite place. Fantastic monuments that would celebrate the lives of, of great kings and queens. But these monuments are their tombs. Their lifeless bodies rest in this cold stone. That is their thumbs. So, no matter whether you are rich or poor, death will find you. And he begs the question, who is influencing you right now? While you are alive? Who are you listening to? Which voices are you listening to? What is influencing your decisions, your choices? Are you following your own voice? Are you following the voices of this world? Are you trying to make your own achievements in life? Maybe for your glory on this earth? The best you can do is to become a museum peace at some point. But here Jesus is calling us to listen to Moses. 
and the prophets. Because death will come to rich people and to commoners and beggars. It will come. It's a terrible enemy. But death is not invincible. Death is not invincible. There is one who has conquered death and promised eternal life to all those who put his or her faith in him. And that who has conquered life is the very one to whom Moses and the prophets point to. Now, continuing in our text, we, we are told here that after both men died, their existence did not cease, right? It's, it's a rather difficult part of the text, but what we can ascertain for sure here is that those who are God-fearing, when they die, they go to a place of rest, a place of joy, a place of relief and happiness. In this place, we have Abraham. If you read carefully Romans chapter 4, you will see that Abraham is not only the patriarch, but he also is the representative of all those who have been justified by faith alone. So there is Abraham and he's reclining his head in the, in the bosom of Abraham. It resembles the image of John reclining his head in the bosom of Christ. So it's a place of comfort. It's a place of joy. Now, the other guy, his situation was... Entirely different, right? We see that he, he, he was taken to this place of torment, a place of pain and suffering, flames and horror. He, he was in what is called, in scripture, the Gehenna. In Israel, the Gehenna Valley is a place outside the, the walls of the town. It's a kind of landfill where, where the garbage was taken and burned. And the flame is always on and consumes everything that is in it. And the man is there. He's conscious. And this will teach us that this place is the fate of those who do not hear the word of God. Those who do not hear Moses and the prophets. This is the place where those who refuse to listen to the gospel, to, to make their tradition, even their religion, their money, their birthright, their treasure on this earth. The, man life, the man's life came to an end. And all the things he had, his purple shirt, his tasty food, they, they were all useless. The very memory of these things would be a torment for him. And then he asks Abraham to have Lazarus wet the tip of his tongue, perhaps still thinking, even in hell, that the poor man, Lazarus, was only good to serve him. And then Abraham responds by reminding him that he had everything he wanted, but he never wanted everything he needed. He had money, power, family, friends, influence, food, and everything else. But he did not love 
the Lord. He did not love his neighbor. He did not value his soul. He was skeptical and cynical, master of his own self. I'm suffering with this microphone here. <laughs> Let me see. Is this one working? I'll take it off. There you go. Free at last. But that man wasn't free. He didn't value his soul. Cynical, master of his own destiny. And now it was just too late for him. It's too late. There's nothing he could do. There, there is this unsurmountable, what, what, this is a big word, abyss. That he, he, could, he could not go where Lazarus was, and Lazarus could not, was not allowed to go where he was. And then he finally realizes his final destiny. He finally appeals in favor of his brothers. Because everything indicates that his brothers were on the same road. And maybe, maybe he figured out that if he did something for his brothers, for his siblings, he could achieve some kind of favor. If it is the case, again, he's just being selfish. Just like he had always been during his life. He, and again... Funnily enough, he wants the poor man, Lazarus, to be born again or to be resurrected. So he could be his servant. You see, he calls Abraham father. Because he was a member of the Jewish community. And thought that because of that he would have an inheritance with God. And brothers and sisters, this should call our attention. Because we can sometimes be tempted to think the same way. I was born in a Christian home. I'm part of God's people. I'm a church goer. But you see, it's not because he was born a Jew that he was part of God's people. In fact, he rejected God all his life with his action, with his arrogance, his vanity, his avarice. So, being part of a community, being a religious person, traditionally a Christian, it, it is a good thing, but make sure that you are actually listening to Moses and the prophets. You see, Jesus... Towards the end of the, the Gospel of Luke, after he resurrected, he appeared to two of his disciples. And they were walking down that dusty road. His disciples, they were sad. And they didn't recognize him. And they told him about what happened. And then Jesus goes on and says, Hey, you know that Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they were all talking about me. That's 
at some point eventually they will realize it was Jesus that was there with them. But Moses and the prophets, and the entirety of the Old Testament, they all point to Jesus. Listening to Moses and the prophets is, is gazing our eyes are upon Jesus, our Lord. And now Abraham insists with him that it's not possible, even if someone resurrected from the dead. And he will say, they have Moses, they have the prophets. Your brothers should listen to them. They have the word. They have the revelation. There was nothing that Lazarus could not, could tell them that, that Moses and the prophets already did not tell them. Let us just assume, for the sake of argument, for just a second, that it would be possible for Lazarus to resurrect and go speak with the rich man's brothers. Now, this is not possible. It wouldn't be possible. But just let's suppose. What could he say to them? Maybe he could say that nothing that we have in this life, our possessions, our earthly possessions, gold and silver, and even reputation, and the fine delicacies of our dish. Nothing of those things can be taken to the next life. But wait a minute. Moses and the prophets, they already say that. So maybe, maybe instead, he could warn them that greed is a terrible sin against God. It's a terrible sin against our neighbor. Because greed is idolatry of, of money. It's idolatry of our own ego. But Moses and the prophets, they already say that. So perhaps they could say that every man on earth, they are called to know and to worship and to serve God and to love Him of all their minds, all their hearts and all their souls. But wait a minute. Moses and the prophets, they already say that. So what else could Lazarus say if he could resurrect? Maybe he could tell them that they should love their neighbors. They should look with compassion and mercy to those who are suffering. They should invest their lives in the lives of others and, uh, and give them affection. But then again, Moses and the prophets, they already do that. So maybe, can, who knows, he could tell them that those who reject the Lord will be sent to a place of torment. But then again, Moses and the prophets, they already do that. You see, isn't it something interesting that Jesus will end his account by making allusion to resurrection of the dead? We have one who has resurrected from the dead, who came back and told us to look to him. You see, Moses 
representing the law, and Elijah representing the prophets. They all both appeared before Jesus in the glorious day of the transfiguration of Jesus, just a few weeks before his death. He was changed, even his form, before the eyes of Peter and John and James. And then Moses and Elijah were there as representatives of the law and the prophets. You know what they were doing? Gazing upon Jesus. Because the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, they point to Jesus. And then even when Peter were was, was afraid, and he said, Let's, let us build a tent to, to Moses and to Elijah and to the Lord. Now, his foolish words were cut off by the Father himself. He's saying to Peter, No, Peter, Moses and Elijah, they are not in the same level of Jesus. They point to Jesus. He is my son. I have pleasure in him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. And Jesus came. You know what he did? He preached the gospel. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Moses and the prophets all pointed to Jesus. Scripture all points to the resurrected one, the living king, who called us to place our faith in him and to repent from our sins. And then, my question for you this morning is, it's very simple. Who are you listening to? Who is influencing you? Because no man is an island entire of itself. We are part of something. We can be part of the, if I am to use John Donne's poem, the continent of God. The ethnicity of God, to use the words of Peter the Apostle. The holy nation of God. The church of God. The ecclesia of God. By listening to Moses and the prophets who points to Jesus, who points to the gospel. If you are a believer, you should understand that every time that the word of God is put before you, every time that the word of God is faithfully proclaimed, it is the voice, the very voice of God speaking to you. And calling you to love him above all things. With all your heart. All your soul. With your whole being. Following Jesus. This is the nature of discipleship. Which by the way is something we talked about today. So as a believer you have the privilege. Of listening to the very word of God. Prophet Moses pointing to Jesus and being part of this group of people with whom you have this covenant of love 
to grow into the likeness of Jesus. But if you haven't yet listened to Moses and the prophets, I urge you this morning to do so. Moses and the prophets are pointing to Jesus. And there is one who came from the dead, Jesus himself, who called all of us to place our faith in him because he's the only one who has conquered death. He's the one who promises us eternal life. He is the one who is going to restore us from the decay of our sinful bodies and will bring us to a place of joy. It's Jesus. He's leading the way. And you are invited today to believe in him. He will welcome your faith. So trust the gospel. Trust Moses and Elijah and the prophets who are all pointing to Jesus. And if you love him, if you are part of his people, you can be an evangelist, a proclaimer of this beautiful gospel, which is powerful. It's the power of God to save. Power of God to rescue from darkness. Power of God to bring us to light. Power of God to make us a new people. For the glory of his name. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we believe in it. Moses and the prophets all pointing to Jesus and his gospel. We ask you that you may place faith in our heart so that we may walk in accordance to the Lord's will revealed by Moses and the prophets. Walk in accordance to the will of Christ. Amen.